my name is Ben Zulsdorf. I am the high school director here, and I'm honored to be bringing the word today. Um, and uh, man, I have to just give a shout out. I think they actually just took off, but Audrey and uh, Claire, man, getting drilled by sixth grade girls for the interview. Hey, man, you passed, bro. You're in, dude. You can, if you can hang with those questions, man, you can hang with anything. So that was so good. Uh, I'm the youth pastor uh, here, or high school youth pastor. My wife is the youth pastor. She oversees the whole ministry. I get the task of shepherding the high school uh, ministry. And uh, this past summer, um, we engaged um, a movie series. Uh, right now, the series that we're in is, is Towards a Life in Christ that is inspired. Uh, and we're in the inspired section, and, um, which is on our wall. Hopefully, you can read that very clearly on our wall. Uh, we have a very clear vision. We want your faith, our faith, we want our faith to be inspired, intelligent, involved. I'm talking about one of the uh, elements that can maybe help us live a more, little more inspired today. I get the privilege <clears throat> of speaking to you on fasting and Sabbath. You've had uh, great sermons from uh, Pastors Ben Kearns and Jeff uh, on the Holy Spirit. Uh, living a holy life, and um, I get to talk to us about two, these two practices to me, I'm like, one is like, yeah, Sabbath is awesome, and fasting, I'm like, no one, went, nobody does not want to eat, like, this isn't a fun topic to talk about, but I think we have, there's something inside of both of these practices uh, for us today. This past summer, um, for Youth Ministry, we did a series uh, called God in the Movies. And one of the movies that we watched um, and invited students to, to, to watch as well and to think theologically about was the new Spider-Man movie. Uh, the new Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. It's the animated version. Um, the Spider-Man in this movie, his name is Miles Morales. And uh, this is the second movie in a series that there's gonna be a couple. The second one left us on like such an uh, awful cliffhanger. It's like Oh, it just left my heart just like a sneeze getting stuck in your face. You're like, oh, come on. Uh, but this movie, they're so cool because this Spider-Man, there's been like several iterations of Spider-Man, right? Like when I was in fifth grade, Tobey Maguire, crush number one, and then number two and three, not so much. And then there was the Andrew Garfield one, uh, and that was cool. And then there's a Tom Holland one with the Marvel movies. And all of them have like a different take on spider Man, and then this one's super cool because um, it involves like the multiverse concept. This is like a big idea that's being talked about a lot. The idea that what if there's like another world happening and there's another version of Ben Zulsdorf preaching somewhere else to a group of whatever. I don't know, like there's like this really thoughtful, uh, interesting rabbit hole that you can deep dive into Reddit or something like that if you really want to. But uh, movies play with this idea of the multiverse. And uh, this movie does in particular, and there's like an infinite amount of spider people. There's like, uh, there's like spider pigs and spider horses and spider warriors, and uh, they're male and female across the board. Like there's no, like it, it's really fascinating. There's like all sorts of gender like represented in the Spider-Verse. Um, and so what's amazing with every uh, Spider-Verse is that there's a through line of every universe that happens. So there's a Peter Parker character who gets bitten, and then there's an Uncle Ben character who passes away tragically, and there's an Aunt May figure who cares for Peter. Uh, there's an MJ character who, who Peter Parker falls in love with. Like It's like a continual line, but this movie wrestles with what if we could change the story. Uh, and Miles Morales, uh, in the movie... 
there's, uh, there's a moment where he's like, I can, I can change the outcome. His Uncle Ben character um, in the movie, he's like, I'm not going to let him pass away. Because he kind of gets foresight, the whole multiverse lets, you know, what you can see in the future, whatever. So he can, he's like, I'm going to change that. And I think that we uh, resonate with any sort of superhero movie, but this idea that what if we could change the outcome, like our destiny around us. Uh, and then we're sorely disappointed because we're broken human beings. We can't shoot webs out of our wrists. We don't have spotty senses. We're normal people who experience life, and then we're heartbroken along the way. Um, and what is compelling about the Spider narrative, the Spider-Man narrative, at the core of it all, it kind of compels us to ask this question, do any of our efforts matter? Does any of it matter? And then even deeper than that, does our pain matter? Does our joy matter in the grand scheme of things? Does this life matter? Uh, we're going to explore that today a little bit, that question. Uh, but first, we're going to play a game. It's not a very fun game. This game is a game of emotions. We're gonna, I'm going to ask some vulnerable questions. But Baby Yoda with the Vince Lombardi Trophy is going to soothe us into these questions, okay? So get ready. You have to pick um, one or the other. You can't pick both, okay? Uh, so pick one or the other. Um, are you someone who cares to fix your own problems, or do you care to fix the problems in others? Pick one. <laughs> fun game, <laughs> all right? It's a good game. Okay. Uh, can you care to fix your own problems or to fix the problems in others? Okay, pick one. Go ahead and go to the next, the next question. Uh, are you someone who feels apathetic to the needs around you, or do you feel a need to be needed? Pick one. Apathetic, or I can fix everything. I know it's a great question to ask, isn't it? Uh, and go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, okay, would you rather avoid feelings of sorrow and grief, or do you struggle to believe you deserve joy? Okay, take a deep breath. Whew, those are not fun questions to sit with. Uh, I, maybe you've answered both to all those things. Um, I, I certainly can go that way, but I tend to lean towards one or the other. What's interesting is all these questions... Uh, at the center of them is how we deal with things when life gets hard. Do we become someone who has to fix everything, or do we isolate and just care for ourselves? Uh, do we feel the need uh, to have to intervene, or do we feel the need to just pull back and observe and become apathetic? These are questions around coping and numbing to the world around us. Uh, and I'm convinced that fasting and Sabbath, both these practices actually help us do that a little bit better. The Christian story at the very beginning um, is one where God invites people into relationship with him. It begins in the Jewish tradition, the Jewish context, the Jewish history. And in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, there is a command. This is right after Moses has uh, helped liberate, God's liberated his people through the leadership of Moses. And then they're becoming a people who are to be set apart for following this God, this Yahweh. And this is what God says. Uh, he says to them, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Like, the Lord our God, he's integrated. Something about this being, this God, is integrated physically, spiritually, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God 
is one. Right away, we're invited, and the Jewish people were invited, and as Christians, we're invited now into a relationship with this God who is a holistic, integrated being, where we are invited to be holistically integrated into that same idea. All heart, soul, strength, love the Lord your God with your whole self. And I, this morning, I believe that uh, what Sabbath and fasting have for us is an invitation into the fullness of the human experience. These are two practices uh, that while focus on different ex- outcomes, allow us to, I think, love the Lord our God more holistically with our whole selves. So let's dig into fasting. Okay, so uh, if you're like me, fasting happens maybe once a year uh, during the season of Lent. And you choose something to give up during Lent, right? Preparation for uh, Easter. We say, man, I have a really terrible addiction to chocolate, so I need to not eat chocolate for 40 days. Uh, But I get a cheat day, so I'm going to cheat, and it's okay, so I kind of don't really do it, but I'm going to do it. Uh, I've had various attempts of this fast. And to be honest, these are actually really good things. So if you look at this list behind me, you know, chocolate right away. Uh, Man, students are like, I'd fast from school. That'd be awesome. (laughs) It's so good. Uh, Swearing, that's always a good one to give up. Um, Social media, I did that one year. Uh, A popular one for our church because we really love um, the, uh, the, the, the miracle that Jesus turned water into wine. We live in Northern California and wine's a great, so people give up drinking wine. Uh, fast food, there's one year, and this is how like youth pastor I am. I it was like, I'm going to give up fast food, but just five fast food restaurants. And they were Chick-fil-A, because I ate that all the time, Taco Bell, Chipotle, Subway, uh, and In-N-Out. And I was like, just five, but I can still eat McDonald's. Like it was like the worst attempt ever, uh, ever at Sabbath. And so we tried different things because we recognized what are some of the habits that have become ingrained in us that we, that have become maybe a little too much. Uh, and these are all great things, by the way. This is all, these are all great things. Um, but as I was prepping for this sermon, I learned very quickly that none of these things actually count as fasting. These are practices of abstaining. We abstain from these things, and, and there still is a spiritual practice to it. That's still a good thing, but it's not fasting. Fasting, uh, in the whole scope of the church, from Judaism into Christianity, is a food fast, a food and or water fast, fully not eating uh, for a period typically of about 24 hours. So the idea is you fast, Um, how it's kind of been done is you eat, it's like, say you're going to fast on Saturday. You eat a really large meal on Friday for dinner, like heavy protein, you load up, and then you skip breakfast on Saturday, you skip lunch on Saturday, and then you eat dinner on Saturday. So it's a 24-hour fast, just enough to feel hungry. And then there's different lengths and there's different parts of Christian history where people have taken that really, really to crazy extremes. Um, but for our purposes, I'm just going to talk about the 24-hour food fast. You still drink water. Um, and so this is, what, uh, this is what fasting is. Let's take a look at some scripture to kind of shape what fasting is for. Uh, so in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. 
Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Okay, a couple things with this passage. Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast. So the assumption back then was people were already fasting. It was a common practice that people did. And he makes it really clear. Uh, don't let people see in your face how hungry you are. Uh, in other words, don't, don't, let your, don't be hangry expressively. <laughs> like, inwardly, like, push it down <laughs> and go on with your life and fast. Because this is about a practice to be done in secret between you and God. And when you do that, there's a reward only to your father. And so I want to talk about what is this reward when we do fasting. We're going to go backwards in the text. We're going to look at very quickly, I'm going to read through four passages in the Old Testament. There's a lot of passages in the Old Testament about fasting. We're just going to pick four of them. This is from the book of Leviticus, which is always a good time. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, this is part of the Levitical law. What does it mean to follow God uh, as a people? He says, the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement which, by the way, uh, was celebrated on Monday. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. That was this past Monday. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Okay, denying ourselves, that's the denial particularly of food, water fasting, Day of Atonement. Okay, next passage is from the book of Psalms. This is David uh, being, being David's emo self. He says, ruthless witnesses come forward. They question me on things I know nothing about. They repay me evil for good and leave me like one bereaved. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. Okay, so this one, someone's wrong, David, and as opposed to like someone to be called his enemy, and uh, David fasts for his enemy. Okay, so there's something connected between love your enemies and fasting. Uh, so he prays for his enemy to not build up some resentment. Go and go to the next passage. This is from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says as a rebuke to the people of God, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To, sell, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Okay, this is a fasting that happens because injustice is happening. Uh, and Isaiah invites them, fasting produces caring for the oppressed. Last one. This is from the prophet Joel. He says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. This is a common iteration where we see fasting as a process of repentance, Okay, so in my research with fasting, this is the through line between all these passages. Uh, there's a book called Fasting by a guy named Scott McKnight. Scott McKnight uh, was a professor at North Park Seminary, and he's a great thinker, theologian. This book uh, totally shaped everything I'm telling you, by the way, right now about fasting. Uh, this is what he says. Fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, sacred moment in life. Fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous, 
sacred moment in life. When I think about fasting, uh, I've always thought about you fast because you want something to happen. Okay, I have a big job transition, so I'm going to fast. Uh, I need clarity from God on something, so I'm going to fast. Those are all actually fine reasons to do that. That's the, you can still fast to have an outcome. But um, Scott McKnight argues, and what I think actually lines up well with what I was reading too, is that fasting isn't about wanting to get something. It's about responding to something that's already happened. Uh, fasting is what you do after something crazy maybe even grievous, happens. That's the natural outcome. So we know this. Um, any of us in this room who've lost someone, tragically to an accident, you've had a heartbreak of some kind, uh, the last thing that you want to do when it happens is eat. Uh, and in our uh, way, I think, of comforting one another, we try to push people or ourselves to just eat something. You just got to eat something. Uh, but it's a natural response because a grievous moment's happened, so we choose not to eat just for a short period of time. And it gets a little dangerous when you just keep going in that way. But for a short period of time, um, what if it's actually a way for us, for emotions to not get stuck? Like, what if, like, fasting is actually a way to healthily process grief uh, and sorrow? Uh, what if it allows it to become unlocked inside of us so that we don't have to live with that thing fully. That's what Scott McKnight is arguing here. Fasting is a means that helps our hearts align with God. It awakens us spiritually to the grievous sacred moments all around us. So when you read the news and you're like, see that all the terrible things happening in the world all the time, uh, we numb our, it's like, I, I don't need to see that anymore. Um, what if there's something that catches our attention and we say, okay, actually, I think I should probably care about that just a little more. What if fasting uh, is a tool that allows us to care just a little bit more? Uh, what if when we have uh, an illness in the family, a, a cancer or a sickness, um, someone passes away or a broken relationship, a divorce, um, something that just causes that unsettling deep inside of us. What if fasting, uh, what if fasting is actually a tool to help us sit in the heavy and not ignore it? What if we could use that as something to allow us to grow a little deeper into loving the Lord our God with our whole heart, our soul, and our strength? Because that's what we're invited into. And because we live in a broken world, these things happen all the time around us. Uh, Every moment of poverty, every uh, broken thing in the environment, every broken thing in our relationship with us grieves the heart of God. Uh, and what if God actually just invites us to sit with him in that grief? God's like, hey, I want you to feel the weight of this, like the fullness of, of what this actually looks like, um, and, and be, sit with me in it so that it doesn't get stuck inside of us and we don't cope in unhealthy ways. In preparation for this sermon, um, I decided, I realized, I've never actually fasted before. Uh, and so I felt to honor this moment, I needed to give it a try. So my reward is not in heaven anymore. It's with you guys, because I'm telling you about it right now. I'm okay with that. Um, but I fasted twice. And the first time I fasted, 24 hours, right? So dinner on one night, skip breakfast, 
lunch and then fat, or ate a great, awesome meal on that evening. Uh, but I, I did it. The first time I did it, I was like, sweet, I did it. <laughs> I said, I was fine. I did it. Uh, the second time I did it, uh, the second day, I cultivated space to pray. And um, there wasn't anything magical that happened here. It, it was just um, an awareness came upon me as I was praying in the midst of feeling hungry. It was in the afternoon, kind of at the, the longest time from when I had last eaten. Um, as I was praying, I felt myself praying more connected. You ever throw out prayers and you're like, gosh, I don't really mean this, but I know I need to pray for this thing. Like, I think when I was pr- and I've been praying, the, praying for the normal things that we pray for, friends, family, things in front of us, troubles, all that kind of stuff. I felt a little more connected, like my body meant what I was praying for. And in that, I felt like, I felt God deeper. I felt closer to his heart. Um, And I was like, oh, I think I get it just a little bit. And so what if fasting is actually, this is the point of it, is the reward is just knowing God a little deeper knowing him to love him better with our whole heart, our whole soul, and our whole strength, and integrated spirituality with our body, mind, and spirit for what breaks God's heart so that we don't have to carry that around all by ourselves. I think that's one of the things that fasting provides for us. I'm going to start talking about Sabbath here in just a second, but before I move on, I want to say one quick thing. Fasting, this is really important. I need to say this. Uh, So I called um, my favorite uh, Jewish historian and uh, cultural insight, Rhea Levy, uh, who is Jewish. If you guys don't know Rhea, you have to get to know her. I say this almost every sermon because she's just a wellspring of knowledge, but she was telling me that um, fasting, if you're pregnant, nursing, or you're sick, don't fast. Um, and I also learned when you, if you Sabbath, which we're talking about next, you don't fast either. That's a celebration. It's different. Um, but if you're, if you're ill or your body is being used to sustain life for someone else, you don't fast um, because the body is important. It's important that we're healthy in our bodies. So um, I want to extend that a little bit too. If um, you're someone who's wrestled with an eating disorder of any capacity, um, there are other spiritual practices to engage in that allow us to connect deeper to the Lord and all these things. So just take a pause um, on this. If, if you fit in that kind of category, just pause on practicing this one for now. Um, okay, I want to go into Sabbath. So uh, Sabbath. This Sabbath is, um, I think that fasting and Sabbath are two sides of the, they're two different sides of the same coin. Fasting uh, allows us to feel and embrace the grief of the world alongside of God, and Sabbath allows us to feel the joy and delight. Um, Sabbath was created from the beginning. Uh, the seventh day, God rested. This is when Sabbath is first said. God rested from his good creation. And this is where we first see it as a command. And by the way, fasting is not a command. So if you never fast, it's okay. Uh, fasting is just practiced uh, in scripture, but this is commanded. This is a command to God's people. And this is where it's written in the book of Exodus. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay. 
very clear instruction. Everyone in your community, even if they're not a part of your community, don't work. Rest. Even the animals. Like, animals stop being, like, no, no, no oxes or donkeys, like, are going to pull you around today. No one, nothing does work. And this is what I find amazing about this command. This happens right after the Israelites have been liberated from being enslaved by the Egyptians. For 400 years, this people only knew that they made bricks over and over again. Their value was in what they produced. And so what does the Sabbath do for this people? This command, God says, you are not what you produce. You are not just brick makers. Uh, You are image bearers designed to be, love me with your whole heart, with all your soul and strength over and over again. So you have to rest because you have to remember that you're an image bearer and you're not a brick maker. And the invitation is the same for us. We are not what we produce. We are not the sum of our work. We are image bearers invited to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, our whole soul, and all our strength. And Sabbath, when we practice Sabbath, another 24-hour period, by the way, the traditional way of, the Jewish way of viewing Sabbath is you start on Saturday night, and then it finishes, uh, I'm sorry, starts on Friday night, and then it finishes on Saturday night. That is a Jewish uh, Sabbath. You start and begin with sleeping. How cool is that? You start with, you literally start with rest, and then you you can pick it back up when the sun sets down. But we do this uh, because God wants us to remember we're not what we produce. We're not what we produce. We're not what we produce. We are image bearers designed to be in relationship with God, and so it's about rest, delight, and worship. So this is, a, this is a picture of me uh, and Shelly uh, a few, probably like a month before our son was born. Uh, I like to play disc golf with some friends over here. I see Brady over there and Casey. Yeah, we play disc golf. It's a good time. And, uh, and Luke, Luke was here, but he's, I guess Daisy was having a thing. So there, uh, we play disc golf all the time, and it's a great time. Uh, this day, I went with Shelly, and she was my spotter, and she did a great job spotting, and she's so cute, and she's amazing. And, uh, but she was uh, super pregnant, like 14 weeks pregnant at this point in time, like Jeff would always say. And, uh, but she's no longer that way. She, uh, we, we have the baby now. And give the people what they want to see. Here is baby Lewis. Uh, and he, I know, so cute, right? Yeah, I know, I know. So he's, uh, he's two months old now, uh, tomorrow. He's two months old tomorrow, and eventually you'll get to see him, but we're still letting his immune system build up and all that. But Sabbath uh, is about loving your family, delighting in God's creation, and worshiping him for all that he has right in front of you, being present right now. And my Sabbath, as a new dad, is going to include Lewis until he leaves me for college. Uh, and hopefully after that, he'll want to keep having Sabbath moments as well. So, uh, but this is the point of Sabbath. It fully lines our hearts up with God's joy. So both of these practices uh, serve a particular role. Fasting lines us up with God's heartbreak, and Sabbath lines us up with God's joy. So we can feel fully. And this is what they do. Fasting and Sabbath interrupt our compulsive activity. They interrupt our compulsive activity. They resist our practices and idolatries of coping and numbing. Because it's just so easy to make those things, the smallest things, into little gods that we worship instead of the God who invites us in to know him and love him with our whole heart, our whole soul, and all our strength. 
As I was talking about the sermon with Pastor Jeff this past week, uh, Jeff told me, he's like, dude, this quote, I'm going to send this to you. And I was like, oh, that's actually perfect. This is what I'm trying to say this morning. This is um, a quote from Tony Campolo, who is a pastor and a thinker, theologian, all that kind of stuff. Brilliant man. This is what he says. To me, to live is to laugh and dance. It is to embrace the tragic with desperate tears and to give myself to love with intensive abandon. To me, living is to know both the agony and ecstasy of human existence and to disdain that emotional no man's land where moderate citizens know neither the heights nor depths of the human condition. This is a statement about living integrated, holistically, whole body, whole heart, whole mind, in worship towards God, feeling the weight of the grievous moments around us and celebrating fully the joy in life at the same time. This is how we worship God more fully. All this said, fasting and Sabbath wake us up. They wake us up. They wake us up to recognizing that God's heart breaks for every form of sickness and illness. His heart breaks for cancer. His heart breaks for um, separated marriages and his heart breaks uh, for lost people and car accidents and fires and his, car break, his heart breaks for anyone in the hospital and sick kids and his heart breaks. And if we, don't, if we can just not numb ourselves, God would allow us to enter into that heartbreak with him. And God also loves uh, when we spend time with our spouses and read books to our kids and go out and surf with our friends and walk in creation. And he loves when we take a hike and pause and pray and worship God. It helps us wake up to all of these things. So I'm going to say just a few quick points to kind of summarize this up. Ben, you can kind of get ready to come on up. Fasting helps us to feel the weight of sorrow and grief. And Sabbath helps us feel the joy and power of the resurrection. Fasting invites us to better care for the world and others. And Sabbath invites us to better care for ourselves and our families. And if you hear anything that I say today, hear this. Fasting teaches our hearts to break alongside God's heart. And Sabbath teaches our hearts to partake in God's joy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, so that we might know this God who is integrated and whole and moving in our world, redeeming all things. We're going to partake in a time of communion, which is like the ultimate experience of the embodied God that we serve. We actually believe somehow mysteriously partaking in these elements. We somehow physically consuming the presence of Christ in our midst. Through mystery, through faith, through grace, God meets us in this act. And the God who is fully embodied in in all things gives of himself in his body, fully crucified Jesus on the cross, fully resurrected body so that we might have a body and a spirit that is fully connected and aligned and redeemed to live in this 
crazy world that is full of joy and sorrow. And communion allows us to remember that God is with us physically. So hear the words of institution. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And as you have put your faith in Christ and his work on the cross, we invite you to come to the table in communion with the Lord and with the people of God. Would you please stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. And then um, in this next song, you are free to partake. There's communion stations up here in the front, and there's two in the back as well. And uh, during worship, freely partake in the body of Christ. So I'm going to go and pray for us. Jesus, we thank you. God, that you invite us into a relationship of, of oneness with ourselves, with you. It's so easy to, to just miss that. It's easy to, to numb ourselves or to cope, to not allow ourselves to feel the weight of sorrow or even the, the joy of delight. But God, you invite us into a deeper relationship to love you with our whole heart, our whole soul, and our whole strength. So we ask in this time of worship that we respond, time of communion, that we would know the God who loves us fully in our bodies deeper. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Feel free to engage in communion as you are able.